May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. I want to talk with you mainly about our reading from the psalm. Psalm 1, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. You could think of this, and some people talk about this, as the gateway into the entire book of Psalms. Because uh, here the psalmist is talking about the path of a life of blessing. And the rest of the book of Psalms unfolds that theme as well. This is the path of blessing or the path of a happy life. I don't know if you heard this week that at auction, somebody bought a note that was scribbled by Albert Einstein. And it was Einstein's advice for a happy life. He was staying, the story goes, he was staying in Tokyo. And he was at a hotel there and he wanted to give the hotel worker a tip, but the worker wouldn't accept the tip. So he scribbled this note, advice on a happy life. And he said, you know, if you're lucky, this note will be worth more than any tip. And he was right about that because it it sold at $1.56 million this week. So uh, anybody want to hear Einstein's advice for a happy life? (laughs) We're going to start the bidding. Um, his advice was a quiet and modest life brings more joy than the pursuit of success bound with unrest, constant unrest. That was Einstein's advice, a quiet and modest life. Not bad, but probably not worth $1.56 million. Well, we don't have to spend any money this morning to hear God's advice, the best advice for a happy life, a blessed life. Because we can hear from God Himself who created this life, who's the sustainer of life. Um, In this book that He has inspired and in this chapter, Psalm 1, we have God's way for a happy life or a blessed life. And, And that word blessed can be translated literally a happy life. There's a problem with that in our culture because oftentimes we think of happiness as a sort of fleeting feeling, an emotion that comes and goes. But here's the psalmist is talking about a way of life, a life that is lived in right relationship with God. And as a result of that, this life is blessed. You could say this is a picture of a life lived under the smile of God. It's a, it's a life that God blesses. And so what I want to look here is just kind of two parts. The condition for this blessed life, this happy life, and then the consequences, the results that follow. So, very simply, conditions and then consequences. And so, first of all, the conditions of this blessed life. And in the very first verse, he talks about some things that we need to avoid. He, first of all, gives us a negative task. You know, in order to say, in order to grow in goodness and godliness, you have to say no to evil and the influence of evil. And that's what he's talking about in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. 
And the word being used here, wicked, is a word that means somebody who is deliberately turning from God. Uh, This is somebody who's actively opposing the law of God. And the psalmist says, if you want to live a blessed life, don't take their advice. Don't adopt their worldview. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man, he goes on and says, nor stands in the way of sinners. And he's talking again here when he uses this word sinners, the way he uses it, it's an intensive form. Uh, The idea is somebody here who is habitually, actively flouting the law of God, going against the law of God. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, A scoffer is somebody who is mocking the things of God. Uh, A scoffer is somebody who, as it were, rolls their eyes at the idea of God as creator. Mocks or scoffs at the idea of Jesus Christ as Savior and Redeemer. Who thinks that the idea of, of the Bible as the Word of God, the wisdom of God, is an old-fashioned, outdated idea. Scoffers. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist is warning the people of God here. He's warning us, don't cozy up to the scoffer. And don't become one of them. So the first verse here, the point of this first verse is, we need to watch what is influencing us. Influencing our thoughts, our attitudes, our mindset, our worldview. And you can just think about what has happened in this nation over a generation or two. How standards of morality have been turned upside down. Think about what's happened in terms of sexual behavior. What is now considered normal was once considered abnormal. Think about what has happened to the notion, the very notion of truth. Now there are people who substitute feeling for truth. If it feels good, it must be right. Relativism. Relativism has seeped into our culture and even into the church. This is the influence of our culture today. How did it happen? How have we gotten to where we're at? How has it happened that the church has adopted some of these very things? Well, could it be that we haven't really heeded the advice of the psalmist here? And instead, people have walked in the counsel of the wicked and stood in the way of sinners and have sat in the seat of scoffers. Alexander Pope has a, has a little poem about how vice and wickedness spreads and grows. And he said this, he wrote this, Vice is a monster of so frightful mien, M-I-E-N, as to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet seen too oft, familiar with its face, her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. Vice is a monster of so frightful mien as to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet seen too oft, Familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. And that, I think, is what's happened 
through movies and books and TV and the internet. We've all become familiar with the way of sinners and the seat of scoffers. And so this is a call to be discerning. This is the biblical call when it comes to our relationship with the world is not to withdraw from the world. But it is to be discerning. I mean, we are called to be salt and light. We are called to engage this culture. To be salt to a decaying world. To be light to a dark world. But we have to be discerning about the influences that come into our lives and into our homes and into the lives of our children. So it calls for discernment. What's been the result of some of this that we see in our culture? Uh, Wickedness and, and and sinful behavior and scoffing at the things of God. It's not been a blessed life. We've seen a lot of destruction and pain and addiction and sorrow and heartache. And so the psalmist, under the inspiration of God, is giving us this warning for the people of God. So that's the negative task. But then here's the positive condition. Verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates both day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. How can somebody delight in the law of the Lord? How can somebody delight in a list of do's and don'ts? Well, that's not what he's getting at here. That's not what the psalmist is talking about here. That's not how he's conceiving of the law. He's conceiving of the law as the wisdom of God, the instruction of God. I heard somebody put it this way, the catechism of God, the, the way of life, the way of thinking. That's what's bound up with this word, the law, as the psalmist is using it here. And so it is a great delight to know that the creator of life and the sustainer of life has given us a manual, as it were, for life. A way to understand the meaning of life and, and what it means to have a relationship with God, the creator, it's a delight to know that God, who is love, loves us. And we hear that in the scripture. And so we treasure the law of God, the word of God. He delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. And that word here has the sense of somebody who is who is murmuring as they study words from a book. They're repeating the words to themselves and they're murmuring they're musing upon it they're treasuring up these words they're memorizing they're pouring over these words it's a delight god is speaking here in his word now this is reformation sunday and we sang a new song a reformation hymn this this morning so i'd be remiss if i didn't say something i guess about great martin luther and we've been studying martin luther on wednesday nights but luther loved the bible Luther translated the Bible into the language of the people. The Reformation launched a Bible reading movement throughout Europe. And uh, thanks to the printing press, which was the Internet of the day, it was a new technology that created an information explosion. The Bible was translated by these reformers and the Reformation launched the Bible reading movement. But here's what Luther said about the word of God, the scripture, why he delighted in the word of God. He said, in the words of scripture, you will find the swaddling clothes in which Christ lies. Simple and little are the swaddling clothes, but dear is the treasure, Christ who lies in them. Luther loved the scripture because that's where he encountered God. 
That's where he encountered Christ. It wasn't because he had necessarily a theory about the Scripture. It was that as he encountered Scripture, he encountered God. He heard God speaking to him in Christ. And so he delighted in this law of the Lord, the Word of God. And that's, that's what we're called to do as Christians as well, too. We treasure the Scripture because that's where God speaks to us. So, these are the conditions of a blessed life. Don't take in the influence of the ungodly. Rather, take in, delight in, God speaking to you. And then here are the consequences. Verse 3, He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. A picture of a tree planted by a stream of water or a tree that's been transplanted and put by a stream of water or a canal of water that is fruitful. And all that he does, he prospers. This is a blessed life. This is a happy life, being fruitful for God. And it's important to say this again on Reformation Sunday when we remember the great truth that we sang about. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's important to remember that salvation is not a reward that we have earned. It's a gift that we receive. And this blessed life that the psalmist is writing about is not a reward either. It's a result of a particular kind of life. This is what Peter Craigie said in his commentary. The state of blessedness or, or happiness is not a reward. It's the result of a particular kind of life. Just as a tree with a constant source of water naturally flourishes, so a person who avoids evil and delights in the law of the Lord naturally flourishes or prospers. It's a way of life, of being connected to God, the source of life that begins to work fruit in us and through us. And so it's God, it's God by His grace who takes us, as it were, and plants us by a stream of water. And as Christians, we read this and we think of the imagery that Jesus used. You know, he said that he was the living water. And if we drank from him, we would have this water of eternal life. He is the life-giving stream. And God, by his grace, he has taken us and he's planted us in Christ by this stream of living water. And as we stay connected to Christ and his word, we will bear fruit. Jesus teaches that too, doesn't he, in John 15. I am the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, if they take up residence in you, you will, not you may, you will bear much fruit. And this fruit will be for the glory of God. I think that's a word of encouragement for some people here today. Because there might be some people here today who feel stuck. That they're not really doing much. They're not bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Maybe this is a season in your life where God wants you to get more and more rooted in Christ. You know, a tree has two main root systems, as I understand it. I did a little reading about trees this week. And at this conference I was at last week, they talked about trees. So I felt, I'm going to say something about trees this, uh, this week. It just seems to be the image that God keeps bringing up. But uh, the The tree has two main root systems. There's the tap root that goes straight down into the ground. And without that main root that goes down, 
That's the anchor for the tree. The tree would be toppled over. And then there's the root system that spreads out horizontally, laterally. And, and those are the roots that contain those little feeder roots that take in the minerals and the water, the nutrients that the tree needs to survive. So a tree has to be anchored deep or it's going to topple over. It has to stretch out so that it can get the nutrients. And the system of the tree, the root system of the tree, is usually two to three times larger than the canopy. So underneath, there's this great root system. And my point is this. God may be saying to some people, this is a season when I want you to grow deeper, be more anchored in my word and in your connection with Christ, and I want you to stretch out and to grow. And the greater the roots, the greater the... The, the root system, the greater the canopy stretch, the greater the reach. So God is saying, you will bear fruit in due season, in due season. So let that word be an encouragement to some of you today who feel like I did when I was in my 20s, stuck, not, not able to really do what I felt God was calling me to do. And, and really, all of us throughout all of the seasons of life are called to bear fruit. You know, there's a psalm, Psalm 92, verse 14, that talks about the righteous of older years. And it says, they still bear fruit in old age. They are full of sap and green. The older righteous saints are still sappy, green, fruit bearing. And we see that in our congregation. It's so encouraging to see Older saints who are still working for the kingdom of God, still involved in the church, still teaching, still giving their lives. It's such an encouragement. It's such an example to those of us who are younger to see these saints who are still doing that work. Don't give up. Keep bearing fruit. As long as we have breath, we can at the very least pray. Not the very least, the very most. It's the most important thing we can do. But if you can't get up, you can stay and pray. And you can bear fruit for the kingdom of God. It will bear fruit in due season. So this is the promise, the consequence that we have as we stay connected to Christ and to his word. Doesn't this world need people who are fruit bearing, who are bearing good things? Doesn't this world, don't our schools need fruit-bearing children and kids and students and our communities and our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our churches? People who are anchored in something good, anchored in the life-giving stream of God and pouring that out into the lives of others. We need fruit-bearing people. This is what it means to be blessed, to have a happy life. So at the end here, though, the, the, the psalmist is, is developing a contrast, isn't he? And he says, the wicked are not so, but are like the shaft that the wind drives away, the shaft that's not usable. You know, in the ancient times, people would thresh the wheat or the grain and then they would throw up the shaft into the wind and the wind would separate the shaft from the grain. The usable portion would go down. The wind would drive away the unusable portion. I tried to think of an analogy or a metaphor for today, and maybe it would be something like the coffee grounds. You know, it's not useful anymore. You just kind of you make the coffee and you put the coffee grounds in the trash. It's not usable. And the wicked, he says, are not like the fruit giving 
life-giving people, but like the shaft that the wind drives away. They will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. See, just as life-giving fruitfulness is a natural consequence of being connected to God's life, so perishing is the tragic consequence of being disconnected from the life of God. Without life, we perish. Without this connection to God, we perish. So these are the two paths. The the path of the blessed life, the path of those who've rejected God. And we have these conditions laid out for us and the consequences spelled out. So let me ask a question simply in closing. What might God be saying to you this morning about this way of life? Maybe it is a word of encouragement. Go deeper. Stay rooted in in the Word. Connected to Christ. And you will bear much fruit. A word of encouragement. Maybe it's a word of challenge for some people. What am I taking in? What's been, my, what's been influencing me in my thinking? Is it coming from God? Or is it coming from people who scoff at the very notion of God? Do I need to be more discerning about the influences in the worldview that I'm adapting? Or adopting, rather. Maybe God is calling some of us to, to delight more in His Word. To be more intentional about delighting in His Word. To make a daily habit of connecting to Him through His Word, through Christ. How is God calling you to respond to this picture of a blessed life? And as you think about that, I want to remind you that there's only one person who's done this perfectly. There's only one person who's fulfilled this psalm perfectly, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the blessed man. He never walked in the counsel of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners, or sat in the seat of scoffers. In our Gospel reading, Jesus summarizes the law with those familiar words. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus loved God His Father. And He loved His neighbor as Himself. So much that He laid down His life for His neighbor. He laid down His life for you. That's the kind of love that Jesus walked in. Jesus, of course, was the most fruitful for the kingdom of God. He has fulfilled this psalm for us perfectly. He walked this in our place. And so our response to this as Christians, reading this from the lens of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, our response here is one of gratitude. We want to live our life in gratitude for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And we want to reflect something of his character in the world around us today. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Let's pray. We thank You, God, for giving us this picture of a blessed life, of a happy life. It's not the kind of life that the world says will make us happy. It's what You, the Creator of life, says will make us fulfilled and happy. Help us to trust Your way Help us to stay connected to you, Lord Jesus, we pray. Thank you for the fruit that has been born in our life and in this congregation. We know it is a work of your grace, and we give you all the praise and glory. Amen.